Greetings, everybody. This is a Travel Addict podcast where you can hear candid stories and discussions about business and adventure travel from around the world with activities such as trekking, diving, camping, driving, cruising, and just plain chilling out somewhere. We talk about lots of experiences in places all over the world, including the grand, the remote, the edgy, the risque, and ones of questionable merit. Education, fulfillment, and wonder enrich our lives. And of all the books in the world, the best stories are found between the pages of a passport. Stay tuned. Good afternoon, everybody. The Travel Addict here, Malcolm Teasdale. It's Friday afternoon. And online with me is Ian Pilbim from, well, Scotland, actually, part of Great Britain, of course. And I'm going to be chatting to him for about a half hour, 45 minutes. Stick around because Ian and his family are travelers, but with a difference. Now, I've got a lot of admiration for what he's done because Ian, with his wife, took his two children on a vacation around the world. He can correct me about this if I'm wrong, of course, but backpacking. Now, who out there would actually do this? I wouldn't. I've taken my kids on vacation for sure. So Ian's a brave man, and uh, we're going to find out a bit more about why he did that. So Ian, welcome. Can you hear me? Yeah, good afternoon. Good to, to be with you, Malcolm. Thanks for the Pleasure. opportunity. Yeah. Now, firstly, I don't want to get into uh, where you live today. Now, you're an Englishman. Uh, where Originally from where, though, Ian? I'm originally, uh, and this will confuse your American audience, so I'm originally from Boston, but oh. not that Boston. So I'm from the Boston in a, the county of Lincolnshire, where the Pilgrim Fathers set sail from all those years ago. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. well, I'm a Coventry guy yes. from the centre of England. But now you live in the great city of Edinburgh. Now, I only went to Edinburgh after I left England and came to live in the States. I went back for a vacation and went to Edinburgh. Now, for you out, people out there who haven't seen this city, it's a wonderful city, by the way. It's one of my favorite. I say smaller cities, but it's a grand city. It's worth a visit. And you're living there now, right? Yes, I've lived in Edinburgh for 20 years. and very, very blessed to do so. Uh, and you know, Edinburgh is just a stunning city. It's a real jewel. Very, very accessible for, for, for visitors, yeah, uh, and of course the gateway to the rest of Scotland. Um, exactly. Although I have to confess that in our twenty years, the the route that I know the best is the route from my front door to Edinburgh Airport. Uh, <laughs> whereas uh, there is a lot of beautiful uh, countryside in the Highlands as well to visit. Uh, that, that's right. I remember years ago when I I first came to Edinburgh, got a train up there with my parents long ago, and. From there, we picked up a car, then stayed in Edinburgh for a few days at the George Hotel, Royal George. It's, I, I don't know whereabouts it is, but I think it was a George Hotel. George Hotel, yeah. the Royal Mile. And we stayed there a few days. Wonderful city, very hospitable. Then went up to St. Andrews, got to play the old, old, uh, the old course there, and then drove up into the Highlands, which was uh, spectacular. So it's a beautiful country. People who live there must really enjoy it. So probably gets a bit chilly in the old winter, though, doesn't it? It gets chilly in the old summer, never mind the winter. <laughs> <laughs> and you get fog, but that's all right. No, no worries. Anyway, it's your adopted town. Now, Ian, I said you're a brave man because I think you are because you decided one year 
and I think it was around 2008, and economically, um, the world was probably not in good shape at the time. But I'll let you describe this, but you decided to start traveling. Well, one thing is traveling around the world, but you're taking the kids with, with you. I think you tell me how old they were. Then you did backpacking. Now, tell me, what was your decision-making process to do that? And how did you get the wife and the kids to buy into it? Or maybe it wasn't your decision. Why don't you just tell me about that uh, process leading up for you to get on the road, so to speak? Sure, absolutely. So we, we were on vacation. I'm going to pick you up on your statement that we went we went on vacation for a year. Uh, two weeks is a vacation with the kids. Okay. Well, some parents come back from that and they feel like they need, they need another one to recover from the, the time with the kids. So <laughs> doing it for a year is very is not a holiday. It's uh, it's uh, it's a lifestyle, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so 2007, uh, summertime, we are on vacation in southern Turkey, uh, typical package holiday. And one night we're in a bar uh, having dinner, and I said to the kids, where do you fancy going next? Now, they are seven and nine at the time. And they rather cheekily said, could we have a think about that, daddy, and come back to you tomorrow? So... Wind forward 24 hours, same bar, and they produce a sheet of paper. And on this sheet of paper is a list. And it's about 10 countries, and each one's got an animal next to it. Right? So kids, animals, obviously, <laughs> you know. Uh, so it's Australia kangaroos, it's China panda bears, Madagascar lemurs, uh, Peru llamas, this this sort of Africa, Africa lions, all this sort of stuff. Um, and... My wife and I just looked at each other and this kind of thing happened where we were both thinking the same thing, which is, that looks amazing. I quite fancy that ourselves. Yeah. So the next morning we were back in the same bar um, and we Googled round the world family tickets and discovered that they did exist. And indeed, there were blogs and websites of other families who were traveling. Not many, but they existed. So we thought, well, it's possible. And within three weeks of getting back from that holiday, I was negotiating my way out of a well-paid, secure, permanent job that I loved. Yeah. And, you know, the autumn of 2007, I remember going to a recruitment agency that I knew and saying, you know, am I doing the right thing here? And they said, don't worry, Ian, there's always jobs for good people. I'd never heard of Lehman Brothers at that time. <laughs> so the world did collapse in the process of us yeah. having this experience. I'm glad we didn't know it was going to happen. We'd never have done it. And it was a, it was a life-changing experience. Yeah. So, yeah, so we was, we, there was some spontaneity there, a little bit of opportunism. There was also a backdrop of a bit of tragedy as well. So we'd been caring for my father-in-law who had vascular dementia yep. he, he lived with us and his as his condition worsened it got to the point where he couldn't be left on his own and therefore the normal family activities of going to the cinema going to the zoo or whatever at the drop of a hat just weren't possible yep. so we lost some family life with the kids at that stage and we saw this as an opportunity not just to go to some amazing places and see some cuddly animals but also to have real 24-7 family time for a year. Yeah, fantastic. 
and it gave us the result that whole experience also gave us the resources to be able to do it yeah that's fantastic and one thing that will come of this and this came to my head immediately your kids will always appreciate that they'll mm-hmm. never forget what you did for them my parents took me to when, I, when my sister were growing up my sister's two years older than me but mom and dad used to take us to like western superman those places but they did take us into europe on a on a coach ride through europe which was which was very very good actually but to go beyond that now they probably it, 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 even though they traveled themselves quite a bit they would never take us along plus you know, we we got a bit older then. We wanted our independence as well. So it's a fantastic thing you did. And, you know, your kids will obviously look back on that and you've got videos and maybe photographs to, to remind you of that. And sorry, how long were you away totally, did you say? A full year. We did a, a full, full year. year. Okay, yeah. and it was planned that way. And uh, did you actually go completely around or just pick out these countries that uh, then just hop around? So we, we invested in an around-the-world ticket. We chose four continents, which basically meant we excluded Europe because it's on our doorstep, do it anytime. Yeah. Um, we, ex- we excluded Northern America for a similar kind of reason. Yeah. Um, so we went through Africa, Asia, uh, Oceania, so Australia and New Zealand, yeah. and, so, and South America. Yeah. So pretty much we started in Cape Town, uh, so a city by the sea with an iconic mountain. And we finished 52 weeks later in Rio de Janeiro. Rio de Janeiro. City okay. by the sea with an iconic mountain. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. Uh, you mentioned a few places you've been to, and I've been fortunate to go to some of them also, but you've been to places I want to go to. Now, along the way, when you stopped, what kind of accommodation did you stay in typically? It was very varied. So we, we moved about, we moved every three and a half nights. Um, we, on average, some, there were a couple of places where we had a base for a few weeks, three or four weeks, oh, yeah. um, just because you've got kids. You can't be relentless. Yeah. Um, it was predominantly, I would probably describe as private guest house. There was a little bit of what you'd now call Airbnb. Yeah, Airbnb sure. didn't exist at the time. There was a couple of hostels, but actually hostels were not very cost effective because you pay yeah. per bed. Yeah. So for four, that actually didn't work that well. Um, we did a bit of camper vanning in Australia. So, yeah, we mixed it about. But, yeah, kind of guest house would be lower lower quality guest house because we're on a tight budget. Okay. Um, the, the, the planning, of course, you obviously planned the trip, but did you, like, wing it like you just went to a place? Of, let's stay here a few days, and when we had enough, we'll move on. Is, was that it, or did you just plan out, we're going to stay here for five days, we're going to stay there for a week, or how, how did that? Somewhere between the two. Uh, so the, the flight ticket kind of gave us the spine of the journey. Yeah. And you would know we're flying into, so for example, Japan. We're flying into Tokyo on the 14th, and we're flying again, out again on the 30th. So that's fixed. Yeah. Uh, whereas a month later, you know, we're fl- we're flying into Kuala Lumpur, and we're not flying out of Singapore for three months. So we've got lots of flexibility about what. Oh, we're exactly. Doing. Yeah. There's- yeah. So, it, so it, it did vary. What I would say about traveling with kids, which is different from traveling as a couple or independently, is you do. We found you need to plan ahead a bit more. 
So that thing where you get off the bus yeah. and you put your backpack on and you wander around and you find somewhere to stay, when you're on your own, that's relatively easy. Yeah. When you've got tired kids, it's a bit of a hassle. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you're not always in places where you can say, just sit in, and we did occasionally, where you can just say, sit in that cafe and play Uno for a bit, kids, while we find somewhere to sleep tonight. So the, the, the motto that happy kids equals happy parents was one that we stayed true to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> basically, you know, if they were miserable, there was no chance we were going to be happy. <laughs> yeah. You said something just about a minute ago there. You sat in a place, you, you, you arrived somewhere, you sat in a place, a cafe or whatever, and you, you went to a place before you'd actually booked the accommodation. So you landed and then you thought about getting a place. Yeah, I wonder. That's that's a bit scary because there is that sort of chance that you could arrive at a place and you just can't find anywhere to stay because there's some big event in town. All of a sudden, everywhere's booked up. So that might be a bit. Uh, but you never came across that situation. Right? You always found a place to stay. Well, yeah, we always we always found somewhere. There was the odd occasion where um, the internet research or the guidebook letters or perhaps a personal recommendation letters down. Uh, I mean, most famously in Hong Kong, uh, where so we did a an overnight flight from Johannesburg, which I guess is about a thirteen hour flight. Oh yeah, brutal. Arriving in arriving in Hong Kong in the morning into the the heat and the humidity, and I decided that that was the ideal time to stay in our first youth hostel. Yeah, I booked a place that was up on a mountain overlooking um, Hong Kong Harbour. I thought would be perfect. It was it was like a prison. I mean, it was. Awful. Oh my word! But it that was that was not on Victoria Peak, was it? In Hong no, it wasn't. It oh, wasn't. I was going to say I, that they, I, I, <laughs> that would have been yeah. the best place. But obviously, it was there's, there's other places to stay overlooking that. Oh, I had the name Jockey Jockey in it, is what I remember, but I can't remember the exact name. Uh, but that was awful, and we checked out of there the next morning and moved to a moved to a five star hotel with a rooftop pool. Uh, because we just yeah, we got the kids with us, and we just did. We had a contingency budget. That's what it was there for. Yeah. And I learned a valuable lesson. Certainly, again, we're traveling with kids, yeah. which is if you're going to do a long flight with them, make sure that you then go and stay in somewhere really nice. Yeah, that is not the point that you rough it. You need to get over that journey. Yeah, uh, yeah. A bit like I learned that. Um, it's a good. It's a good idea to have not just to have that first night's accommodation sorted, but to get that that hotel to pick you up at the airport. Yeah, that actually, when you were yeah, when you arrive with, again with kids mm-hmm. somewhere really unfamiliar, having a, a smiling man with your name incorrectly spelt on it is actually quite a nice comfort. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you've been to some places where you thought you could just get a taxi from the airport and wouldn't be a problem, but I've been to places where it was it was indeed uh, problematic. Well, yeah. I mean, there's some wonderful hotels in Hong Kong, of course, so I'm, I'm sure you would just fine, which is, to me, Hong Kong's one of my favourite places, one of the most vibrant places on the planet, I think, uh, today. I still want to go back there as well. But that's, that's fantastic what you did. Now, uh, you sent me some in your little write-up there, places you've been to. Now, one come to mind, I've been to a few of them, Bali, right? Now, Bali is sort of a, a special place. It's a beautiful island in Indonesia. And whereabouts did you stay on the island? 
So we well, we ended up staying in Bali for a little bit longer than we intended to, due to some administrative incompetence on my part. Uh, absolutely <laughs> messed up. Beautiful flights. said. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we we started off in the cultural heartland of Bali, which is Ubud. Uh, so in the town of Ubud, which was fascinating place um, with things like we walked in this place called the Sa- the uh, Sacred Monkey Forest. Yeah. And we walked into the Sacred Monkey Forest one day and there was a traditional Balinese funeral ceremony going on. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a real experience. Uh, so we stayed there. And then our second place was Sanya is the name of the place, which is more coastal, so more southern, more in kind of the tourist part of Bali, which is Down the, to southern, the uh, southern southeast area. Near that's Kuala, right. That's Bay. right. Yeah. Yeah. Coastal from Denpasa, which is where you, where you fly into. Mm. Um, and you know, you find a lot of Australians there. Um, it's kind of, you know, Bali is to the Australians what the Caribbean is to you guys over in the, the States and what the, the Balearics and the Canaries are to the Brits. Yeah, um, exactly. I know what you mean. Yeah. 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 yeah so, uh, Kuda Beach is a bit of a wild place, actually. So it's full of Australians, but nothing against Australians, but it is a, a wild place. I, I never stayed there. No. But did you ever get to the, the King's Palace in Ubud? Did you ever go there? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's open air. It's like, it's just weird. You, you walk around the palace and the family are in, in staying there at the time. They just, you know, tourists are going through. That's the only time I've ever been pickpocketed by a monkey. <laughs> oh, those monkeys are vicious. Absolutely vicious. They're, uh, they're yeah. Absolutely, it was wild. No, well, actually, it was. It was what the monkey stole out of my pocket, my handkerchief, and then he, he stood on a branch and blew his nose in it. So, right. just a uh, yeah. So, I didn't want it back after that, but the security gave him like a couple of bits of food, and then he gave me my handkerchief back. I don't know. I don't want that. But yeah, it's a very rich cultural place. Scenery is beautiful. It's just a great place to go to. First time I went there was uh, we left there twenty four hours prior to the Bali bombings happening, right? So that was right. quite, that was unbelievable. You know, this beautiful place, it didn't deserve that. So I'm glad you went there. Um, now, you also went to Beijing. You didn't stay in a hostel in Beijing, did you? No, we stayed in a, in a small hotel in Beijing. Yeah. A modern, yeah. A modern hotel that had just, we were there for the, so 2008 was the Olympic Games in Beijing. Right. And we deliberately scheduled our visit to Beijing to avoid that. Mm-hmm. We just knew that hotel prices would be high and it would be really expensive. Exactly. What, I, what I hadn't clicked in my planning was that if you delayed your visit to avoid the Olympics, it meant you would then be there during the Paralympic Games, which was fantastic. Yeah. So we saw Beijing in one sense at its absolute best because it was – it was decked out in its Olympic finery. Yeah. Uh, the smog had been cleared by missiles. There was no rain. Um, <laughs> the streets were all clear and the Paralympic Games were in full flow. So we were actually able, we were lucky enough to actually be able to attend uh, some of the events at the Paralympic Games, which was absolutely, absolutely stunning. Yeah. Uh, as well as do the obvious things of the Great Wall of China and Tiananmen Square and the Forbidden Tiananmen City. Tiananmen Square and Forbidden City. Temple, yeah. Temple of Heaven, all these things. 
yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's a great place to visit. Now, some people may sneer at the fact that we've been to China, but they shouldn't be having a problem with that at all. But I was there a few months before the Olympic Games. But what the Chinese did, they, they revamped Beijing Airport and did a fantastic job of it. A bit, bit difficult navigating in the middle of the night, but it, it's all right. So uh, excellent place to go to. And go to the food market, there. there's some strange things being roasted on the grill there, but that's all right, you know. Uh, <laughs> so that's Beijing. Now, Ecuador, you went to, right? Mm, yes, fascinating. Fascinating. The reason that caught my interest is because I, I subscribe to a magazine here called International Living, and it's really geared around North Americans. Portrays Ecuador as an excellent place for people who wish to move to another country to live. Mm, right? Nice. Uh, not necessarily Quito, but. I don't know enough about it. I've never been to Ecuador, but I'm assuming it's pretty darn safe and it's got its good parts. What, what's your th- feelings about Ecuador? Yeah, well, we, we loved Ecuador. And we based ourselves in Quito for yeah. three or four weeks. Um, it, I guess like the rest of South America, it can at, at times it can be economically and politically unstable. Yeah. And right now is an example of that. So it's going through a difficult time at the moment, and they've just had a they've just had an election there, which might move things on a little bit. Um, we it was our first time into the Andes. Oh, uh, so that in itself was fascinating because you get that cultural diversity yeah, that, that exactly. comes from the, the juxtaposition of you know. Where, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a dollarized society. So it's a little bit of westernization, but a heck of a lot of the, the indigenous population and the, the post-colonial legacy as well. Uh, so very, very colorful, very colorful indeed. Yeah. Um, and it was a great um, launch pad to visit the Amazon. So yeah. we were able to get to the Amazon, um, which ticked off some of the animal stuff for the kids. And also got to go to the Galapagos as well, sure, um, yeah. which you know, I got to be spectacular. Hard, yeah, hard to find the words really. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, in the well, well, I'm sure we'll come on to this, but it, and I'll try to avoid not to give too many spoilers about the the book and how I've written this story up. Um, but the the way that we got ourselves to the Galapagos, having had to take it out of our plan because due to some more of my administrative incompetence, um, which blew our contingency budget in a, it, uh, while sat on a bullet train in Japan. But I say that's all in the book. Um, but we were, I was sat in a um, coffee shop one morning in Quito and in walked um, these four people, uh, two adults and two kids, wearing T-shirts and board shorts on a cold Tuesday morning. And I thought, they're travellers. That's another traveller family. Bet it is. Uh, and they've just arrived off a bus and all their clothes are in the hotel laundry. Uh, so sure enough, they were. Uh, and um, they were going to the Galapagos. And they said, well, why don't you come with us? We ended up going and sorting things out when we, when we got out there. Uh, so, so that was great. That was another super opportunity that came. But it just proves if you, if you have your eyes open, you prepare to talk to people when you travel then all sorts of doors open, particularly actually even more so when you've got kids with you. Yeah. Things happen that might not happen otherwise. Yeah, exactly. 
You know, with the Galapagos, of course, um, it's obviously, um, I don't know if it's classed as a nature preserve, but there's some uh, animal species there that probably don't exist in many places in the world. Are you allowed to walk on land there? Yeah, it's restricted. It's restricted. So there are places where you are, but in a kind of nature, as you say, nature reserve type way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we were, the, the, I mean, the thing with the wildlife and the Galapagos is a lot of it's under the waves. So, you know, we, we saw one, we were on a boat, just a small boat that was taken as between islands. Um, and we saw one of those feeding frenzies that you see on the documentaries. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, which was just incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, so there's the yeah, there's the marine life, and then you can just be you know I've got great memories of being on a beach at six in the morning with marine iguanas really close up and sea lions and flamingos and just yeah, stunning, stunning great experiences. Experience. Great, experience. yeah, special place, really special place. Yeah. I do scuba diving when I can, and that's always one area where I like to scuba dive. I don't know what the rules are because some places, some great diving spots, is sort of restricted these days of what you can and cannot do in these areas. Now, you went to the excuse me, the Amazon jungle, right? I had ambitions to go to, to Manaus in northern Brazil, then go and camp in the Amazon jungle. Of course, that never took place, and Brazil has been hit quite badly by the pandemic there. But you went into the Amazon. How deep did you go in into the forest there? Pretty, pretty deep. Uh, I mean, it was a tourist, I guess it was a tourist lodge. Yeah. Um, but it was it was a flight from Quito over the Andes into the jungle. Yeah. Um, and then a two-hour jeep journey, following an oil pipeline um, oh. into the to connect with the waterways. Yeah, and then probably an hour and a half on a on a canoe type thing, motorized canoe. Yeah, and then take it to our lodge. So we were we were we were fairly deep in. Yeah, you're probably you're well deep in there. Yeah. Now it's a stupid question, but you didn't you didn't let the kids go swimming in the Amazon, did you? No. Did no, we ask? did not. Um, there is, um, I don't know if I can uh, quickly find this this bit in the book. Um, it's funny because writing up some of the things in the book, you, you think that, that was so amazing. How am I ever going to find the words? Um, and there are other times when you thought that was so rubbish. How am I going to write this in a way that doesn't sound like a pity party? Um, and the Amazon was a bit of both. Um, and one of the things I'm not sure I can, I'm just trying to find it. Lagoon. Yeah, here we go. Um, yeah. So let me just, I'll just read this bit out to you if I may, Malcolm. Uh, so the, this is about sunset. Uh, so the only way in and out of the lodge was by canoe. The deep waters of the lagoon consisted predominantly of rainwater. Our visit followed on from the rainy season when water fills the valley and rises to the top of the tallest trees. With a, without a shadow of doubt, the most magical time of day was sunset. The sky was ablaze with bright colors, yellow, orange, okra, riotous red, and finally rich purple. The surface was still, the air clear, and blissfully free of mosquitoes, which are unable to breed in this watery wonderland, the fallen leaves turning the water sufficiently acidic to prevent eggs from hatching. This acidity did not deter marauding piranhas who swim 
beneath the surface of the lagoon. At sunset, boatloads of tourists would jump into the water for a pre-prandial dip. I never understood this, but, it, but at least it gave me something else not to sleep about at night. The kids loved the stories mummy told them about other small beasties that live in the lagoon. They will swim up your bottom and live in your intestine for months. That helped me sleep as well. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, dear, great. It was great, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I spoke to some um, guy the other week there. He'd, uh, he's an explorer to the extreme, more endurance than anything, but he, he said he's, he, he swam across the Amazon before. I said, yeah, when he's still here, you know. He, yeah. he's, a, he's a Scotchman, actually, but anyway, it's, <laughs> that's a cool thing. Uh, we'll see. I'd love to go back to South America one day, be back to Argentina or, or whatever. It's a great, great area. Now, one of the countries you've been to, I haven't been to yet, but I always, I can't even pronounce the, the capital city and Tamarino, it's Madagascar, right? Did you, when you went there, did you just rent a car and drive around or how did you, did you tackle that place? Yes, uh, Tana. Tana is the capital city. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. Easy, it's easy to say than Antanarivo. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so before we went away on our year, um, I've quit my job, but then I had a, we had a few months because we wanted to let the kids yeah. finish their school year. So I went out to Sri Lanka for three months. Oh, okay. Uh, and did some voluntary work out there in the, the heat of their civil war, actually. Yeah. And one night I was in a bar in a town called Kandy, and I got chatting to this British guy who was a was and is a travel um, journalist. And I mentioned that we were going to Madagascar. And he says, and actually it's funny because I've got it wrong in the book I've discovered. He said, I think he's, I thought he said, my wife's brother is from Madagascar. If you need a driver, let me know. Yeah. Right? Uh, turns out it was, it was his sister. But anyway, because I've been in touch with him in the last few weeks. So through that random connection in the bar in Sri Lanka, we found a driver. Uh, so we were met at the airport and toured around in a Toyota Land Cruiser for 11 days, which was fantastic. How cool is that, yeah. Is it, as you as you all know, it's a massive island. Yeah. And we, in one sense, only really skimmed the surface. Uh, and I could definitely go back and do a lot more of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, of course, it's been absolutely ravaged by deforestation. So even in the the decade since we went, there'll be a lot less to see in many of the species of of lemurs and chameleons, et cetera, that were around then probably are not now, which is tragic. Is that right? Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, terrific. Palm oil. It's all for palm oil. Yeah. It's a shame, isn't it? I tell you. Um, uh, Machu Picchu came up on your list. Now, did you climb up there or did you take a vehicle or...? So we stayed in Aguas Calientes, which is the town just below Machu Picchu, yeah. uh, and got the early morning bus so that we could see the sunrise. Um, again, if, you know, because we've got an eight-year-old girl with us and a 10-year-old boy, uh, doing the Inca Trail was not really viable. Uh, so we did it the other way. But uh, in the end, it was just as well, because, uh, uh, again, I'll, I'll not spoil it too much for the book, but uh, I was not a well boy on the the day that we went went to Machu Picchu, so just as well we weren't hiking. <laughs> I, I was just going to picture this because you know the other kids with you. He said, "Come on, Dad, give me a piggyback." You know, <laughs> <laughs> Not on that occasion. <laughs> well planned. That was well planned. Yeah, I, I, you did. You definitely did the right thing there. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. you, you know what? You, you've done a lot, especially uh, with your children. Extraordinary. You've done more than many people have uh, all over the world with some fantastic, fantastic places. Uh, and I know you've written a book about your travels, and as appropriately called, Are We There Yet? Yeah, which is, it just reminds me of, you know, a family going across the roads in America. They're going somewhere, and the kids in the back keep on saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Is this something they said, or it just seemed like an, a, a name that was sort of apropos for the book? Yeah, well, it works. There's a subtitle to it as well. So it's, are we there yet? The year-long adventure that kept on giving. Yeah. Um, and in there is a hint in terms of the lifelong impact that that, that experience and that journey had. Uh, but I went through, I started, the, we're doing, you know, we're chatting now in 2021. Well, I started writing the book at the beginning of November 2020, mm-hmm. so not that long ago. And I wrote the first draft in 80 days, which I always think is very appropriate for a book about going around the world. Um, and end-to-end, it was about a four-month four month process from first word to, uh, to final word. But I did it as part of a group, so I was part of a masterclass. And I put out some suggestions for titles. And it was actually a lady in California who suggested, are we there yet? Because that was not one of my suggestions. And for the reason you've said, it's what kids say. Um, and the moment I saw it, I went, of course, that's what it's called. Yeah, exactly. To be honest, it's like it's always been called that. And I can't even rem- remember any of the titles that I came up with. It's just such a great title. You just know, don't you? You just know. And it, it, it cooked to you any time or, again, you, uh, someone thought of that idea for you. Did you self-publish or did you get a publisher to do it for you? So I, I, I did the hybrid route, which means I self-published, as in I didn't have a publisher. Mm-hmm. But I used publishing expertise to help me through the process. Yeah. So that it. means things like the typesetting. I outsource that to a company that, that does that. Yeah. Um, getting the, the cover design quite right, yeah. they did that for me, so it looked professional. And then the process of getting it on Amazon and getting it in the places that book site, bookshops can, can get it from wholesale, um, that was a whole technical job that I probably could have learned to do, but I thought I'm never going to do it again in all probability, so... Why spend all the time in it? So I, I used expertise for that. Well, you um, never know. You could come up with a second edition of the same book, appending to it, or you know. Yeah, I mean, I, the, I bet you do. You know, I think I think the the jury is out, um, and some days I will say today is one of those days. I said to my wife today, I said, you know what? I don't think I'm ever going to write another book because it's it is so it is an intensive experience, really yeah. intense experience. Um, and I now understand why um, music acts, they do an album and they don't do another one for five years. It's exhausting. Um, but then they do do another one. So I do have ideas for another half a dozen books. Um, but whether, whether they see the light of the day or not, I don't know. I mean, I, I wanted to do this initially as, a, as a, a gift for my kids and their kids. Yeah. You know, as a... As a you know, as a legacy project to record it. But as I started to share some of the content with people, yeah. I started to realise that actually there was there was some universality to this story, but also it was very topical 
at a time when you can't travel to be able to read about a family doing so. Yeah. Uh, and also in a world where a lot of parents are having to homeschool yeah. to learn about how you world school and you know, make the world your classroom. Uh, it's so it, true. It's very important today as well yeah. you know, to learn yeah. how the, the rest of the planet uh, lives from day to day and, and works. Um, very admirable, I, I must say. You've got the book out. That's the main thing. But I know when I was growing up, uh, my parents were in World War Two, And, yes, I do have pictures. And I do have the odd video. Video is a bit lame, black and white. Bring back nice memories. But it would have been nice for my parents to write stuff down. The words also would mean a lot. I remember things they said, but things they thought at time put down in paper. You've done that. So this is something your kids will enjoy later in age and your grandkids as well. It's a fantastic yeah. thing to do. I think people should, should do that. Um, even if it doesn't have to be a, a bestseller, but for your own benefit, if you wish, that's the reason I did books in the first place. It was for selfish reason because I wanted to remember stuff that I did many, many years ago, you know, because my, my parents had Alzheimer's and, Maybe I'll get it one day. I can read my own book and think, who the hell is that? Well, it's me, but I can read about it. It's it's a good thing to do and you pass through the generations. So it's it's all good. Now, you also tried or you've made an audio book of this, have you? Yes. Now, that's, that's interesting you mentioned that because um, it's actually the point you just said. So when I recorded the audio book, I felt like I was talking to my unborn great-grandchildren. Because my grandfather did an interview, and my grandfather my grandfather lived until just a few months short of a hundred, and and he was a, an amazing guy and a massive inspiration to me. Mm-hmm. He did an interview, which the cop the, the copy still exists, and he was he was an entrepreneur, and I'm an entrepreneur, and I listened to this two years ago on holiday. Um, sat in Italy with a glass of wine in my hand, and I listened to my grandfather, in effect, speaking from the grave, because he died in 2005. And I learned things from him then that I went, right, I'm now going to go and do something with that. Right. So, you know, I hope that whether they whether they read the book, whether they listen to their their, their long, da- long dead great granddad, that there is some legacy here for future generations to to pick some life lessons from as well, so hopefully some inspiration. Uh, so, yeah, real privilege to be able to do that. And then in the other direction, um, although I wrote some blogs at the time when we were traveling, they were they were very sanitized because I knew that my parents would be at home worrying. So I excluded a lot of things that happened, you know, like the, the, times, the times that the kids nearly died, that sort of thing didn't go in the blogs. But they're in the book. So my parents are now in their 80s. Uh, My mother is a retired English teacher. So not only has she read the book herself, but she has also over a period of a few weeks every day read a section to my dad, read out loud a section of the book to my dad. So actually they've learned things about me and their grandkids that they didn't know before because we kind of sheltered them from it. So. It's been a been a great experience of sharing within family. You know, I've had um, I've had people that I went to school with read it. Um, 
I've had school teachers read it, family members, people that don't know me from all, all around the world. It's a, it's been a privilege to be able to do that and a joy to, yeah. to get the feedback as well. Uh, excellent, yeah. The smallest book I wrote, actually, I tried to try. It's a work in progress to do an audio book. And I felt at times I just wanted to stab myself in the neck because it was so frustrating and it had to – uh, screw, I use audacity for the mixing there, and it's frustrating. I still haven't done it yet. Do I really want it? I'll probably get to it one day, but it's taken many, many hours to do so far. So it's on the back burner right now. Either way, you've got this thing down in words. It's a great thing to do. Now, you have a website named – oh, your website is familytrippers.co.uk, right? That's correct, yes. Yeah. So I know uh, if people are trying to find – uh, information about you and your family and what you've been up to, go to that website, familytrippers.co.uk, and you get to the front page and there's obviously you and your wife on a beach somewhere. Now, I know it's not Bognor Regis or Western Supermare. Where is that? The okay, so that's actually the kids. That's the kids, actually. Um, it's the kids. Oh, yeah. That's the kids. Yeah, that's the kids, and in, in they're probably late teens. Oh, okay. Um, and that is uh, at, on a beach in Sri Lanka, mm-hmm. a place called Marissa on the south, uh, the south coast of Sri Lanka. Uh, so that is, we, Sri Lanka kind of, we went there a couple of years before the trip. Yeah. So it kind of got our tra- family travel thing going. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously I went back and did that volunteer work. And then um, probably four summers ago, we went out there for a month as a family. So that was that's kind of what part of the bookends. I, I love bookends, so that's part of the bookends of our travel. Okay, uh, excellent. Nice shot. <laughs> well, I tell you, it's extraordinary. Now, I always encourage people, um, especially as they get an older in life, to try and think of a, a place which is sort of way out there, a, a trip that would give you memories of a lifetime. You know, yes, you can go to the beach. Yes, you can go and see family here. But, you know, for the time you've got left on this planet, life is fragile. Go somewhere really obscure when it will give you these memories of a lifetime. You will never forget it. The memories will stay with you. But you've you've had that trip, uh, it appears, and uh, you've got some memories for the rest of your life here, which is not going to go away. How do you top that? Is you, Are you planning anything else in the future, or are you just going to sit back? And I don't think you'll sit back. You got something in the works, have you? Or you? you, you yeah. So the, you you'll know this, Malcolm. That travel travel once you let it out of the bottle, let the genie out of the bottle, then it's very hard to get it back in. Uh, so we've been the kids have been off. You know, once they hit their middle teens, yeah. they went off and started to independently travel themselves. Yeah. Uh, that freed Anne and I up to be able to do some things as well. So. You know, we've we've been to the last few years. We've been to Vietnam, or we've been to Cuba, or we've been around the Baltic states and the Balkans. Yeah. So we've we've done some good stuff. Yeah. Um, but our plan is, uh, fortunately, and I say with, with touch wood, is I've built my business now that I'm kind of freed up from it. So I have a fantastic team that run it. Uh, so get COVID out of the way. Yep. Um, and my wife and I plan to do a lot of travel. Yeah. Um, and probably, you know, maybe 12, a 12 month, you know, a, tw- a 12 month year might look a little bit like three months traveling around somewhere in the developing world. So, yeah, yeah Southeast Asia or 
South America or whatever, something like that. Three months uh, in uh, the westernized world. So there are quite a few road trips in the States we want to do, for example. Um, Two or three months back in Scotland, enjoying the the Edinburgh Fringe, being home for Christmas. And then maybe another two or three months based somewhere interesting. So living somewhere. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's that's crossed my mind as well. Me and the wife, we've talked about it a few times. We're actually in June. Uh, we're going to the Turks and Caicos Islands for a month. We're fortunate to have a place down there, so we're just going to stay down there for a month, come back. Then I'm doing a cruise ship lecturing in July. Uh, one of the big cruise lines is back in business in the Caribbean, so I'm going to do that. Then I got a trip planned for uh, later on in the year, going to Raja Ampat in and Indonesia for for a diving trip, and just tour around there but we talked about spend three or four months a year in a country like maybe thailand i don't know um and just but you know it's it's too early to tell right now it's it's in our heads it's something we feel like we want to do and i think it's key here all your travels ian that you've been on you've learned a lot you've learned a lot about the foreign cultures you've learned a lot how about how the rest of the world lives how the people live from day to day and the more you learn, the more you want to do it, the more you want to learn, right? It's a big, it's a big educational thing. And that's that's the beauty of it. So it is. I think you, there's there's two kinds of learning. So there's there's learning about the world that we live in. And you know, particularly when you come up, you and I will have had the same education. And it's a very it was a very narrow post-colonial um, Atlantic view of the world. And I found it fascinating. We spent six months of that year around the Pacific Rim and actually just understanding the world from the other side um, was was very educational indeed. Uh, So there's that aspect. But then there's actually just understanding, I don't want to get too philosophical, but actually just understanding yourself and understanding people and your your attitude to risk, for example, your your attitude to adventure. Um, You know, I, I would... I would not be running a business or owning a business if I hadn't done the trip because I wouldn't have stepped out as I did from 25 years secure Mm -hmm. employment in the public sector, in the state sector, and go, do you know what? I'm going to run my own business, and what's the worst that can happen? It it doesn't work out, and I have to get another job because Mm -hmm. that attitude came from, uh, shall we take the kids out for a year and go around the world and, and I'll quit my job? Well, what's the worst that can happen? My wife says we have to sell the house and downsize. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It, and, and you learn with travel that when things go wrong, it's normally a good thing. Yeah, you know, I've got the the final chapter of, of, of Are We There Yet? Uh, it's a bonus chapter, and it's a series of life lessons. So it's a lesson I learned on the trip, which I then applied to growing a business, and you know one. One of those lessons um, is that um, plan, pl- here we are, planning is good, but so is reacting. So plan A is rarely the best plan. Plan B is rarely the first plan, and neither is plan C, but plan D rocks. <laughs> just, and the answer just emerges, and something suddenly happens because you – you miss that bus connection and um, you thought it was the end of the world, but you ended up staying in this place where if you'd not stayed there, 
then you wouldn't have met that person who told you about this thing. And before you know it, you're having this amazing experience. That's travel. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. also life. Yeah. And travel teaches you that. Yeah, yes, it does. And there'll always be mistakes made. Uh, things happen, bad things. But the human spirit is strong. We get over it and we move forward with it, knowing full well that, yeah, it, okay, a plane's always lose luggage. It's just a matter of time before you're going to lo- lose your luggage on a flight somewhere. It's just a matter of time. But, yeah, bad things happen, but we come through it. We learn a lot from it. All good, uh, Ian. Excellent. Um, but anyway, your book's out there. It's got to be worth a read and your website's there for people to uh, peruse over. Anything else you got to say while well, I got you online yeah. here? Uh, so the easiest way to find the book is to go to Amazon, to be frank. Um, so I don't want to re- recommend to people. Um, in terms of the the book, doesn't have the photos in it um, because I talk about 15,000. Um, but what I do do is I post a, a picture from our travels every day on Instagram. Uh, so if people are interested in that, then at original family trippers, uh, you'll find us there. No. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, beyond that, do you know what I say is that travel's an amazing opportunity. Um, we're fr- privileged to live in a planet that's much, uh, smaller and more accessible than our parents and grandparents did. And once all this um, COVID stuff is out of the way, um, the places that we want to go to will, A, have had a breather. Nature will have had a breather, which is a good thing. Yes. But the communities that live there that are dependent upon our dollar will be desperate to see us back. Uh, And I hope that confidence will come back and people will be keen to get back out there and travel again as soon as possible. And certainly... Uh, I will, and I hope to see you there sometime, wherever there is. Wonderful. (laughs) Uh, Hopefully sooner rather than later, and uh, we just have to keep our fingers crossed. Uh, And it's always good to have something to look forward to in life. That's the main thing. So hopefully people out there, you've got plans for travel this year. Hopefully it uh, is going to happen. Excellent. Well, thanks for being with me this afternoon, Ian. Appreciate that. Keep in touch, buddy. And then, uh, you know, I'll let you go. But are you out in the town in Edinburgh tonight or just staying local? We will uh, probably not tonight. Um, I uh, I tend to uh, let the kids have it on a Friday night and uh, as old as can play in the week. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Excellent. All right, Ian. Take care and uh, we'll be in touch. All right. Thanks a million. See ya. Many thanks for joining me today. This is Malcolm Teasdale signing off. Before I do, please check out my website, malcolmjteasdale.com, for more information about my travels around the world. Okay, folks, talk to you later. Bye for now. Stay safe.